This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Well, I got it. Heaven! I have a crush on every God is calling on me. It's me. This is so good. Yep. Jack and I'm a fan of it. Just killing Sicario. Damn it. How could this have happened? Welcome to Good Christian Fun. I'm Kevin. I'm Caroline. Weird to have Good Christian Fun, the podcast where we ask, damn it, how could this have happened? Now, of oh, course. Crap. That was, you recognize that now? I tried to cue it on one episode, and I finally found it. It is, of course, the intro for Aaron Sorkin's Masterclass. Oh, <laughs> the commercial. Yes, that's right. That was that's the pre-roll right. of every episode of every video I watched on YouTube for two years straight. Damn it. How could this every have happened? Every time I opened up Instagram, that would be a sponsored ad that showed up in my feed like over and over. And damn it always it. got me, too. That's what bothered me. I'd always be like, what? Oh, damn it. <laughs> how could this have happened? How could this have happened? And you know, this is this is a podcast where we ask, how could this have happened to whatever the church is, whatever the religion is, whatever the faith is. Good Christian Fun is the podcast where we talk about Christian pop culture, the music and the movies and the entertainment made for, made by, and then sometimes in the case of today, made about Christians and Christianity. But we're not here to make fun of you. We're not here to make you go to church. We're not here to make you go to any one church in particular. Uh, we're not here to make you stay at that church if you may want to leave or you have yeah, some well, issues or complaints. We have suggestions. We, of course, uh, have recommendations. <laughs> we have a guided recommendation. We have thoughts, but we wouldn't we wouldn't pressure you one way or another. No. <laughs> and you can do your own research, as members of my family are so fond of doing with coronavirus and the vaccine, and go on Yelp.com and look up whatever church is in your area. I know we talked about churchclarity.org, the website that tells you if they affirm women or queer people at the church. But I do recommend go to Yelp.com, look up a Check local church, that. see what yeah, people are saying. Yeah, the good news is you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be a statistician. You don't even have to be all that intelligent. And that's great no. news for me, uh, for all of us. And when you're looking up a church, you can pretty easily find out, you know, are they going to be cool or not? And, yeah, and Church Clarity is a great place to get started on that. And that is the good news that we are here to spread, <laughs> is the good news of Yelp and Church uh, yeah. Clarity. And sometimes you can just look it. something up on Hulu, and you'll get a lot of information there as well. Yeah. Oh, I love a Hulu search for whatever the topic is. The topic Sorry, for Discovery today, Plus, <laughs> not Hulu. Yeah, I don't know why. I was curious. I don't know why I did either, but there might be a I don't, know if you'd I don't know. Seen normal people and got horned <laughs> up all over again or something, but we did have to breach into the waters of Discovery Plus, which I think will be merged with HBO Max pretty soon. And mm. it, it needs to be because what? It <laughs> ought to be because Discovery bought Warner, so Discovery yeah. owns everybody now. Which is 
Discovery I, is the mega how award? How did that happen? Yeah. How? You know what I mean? It's called Discovery yeah, Warner Media, it. I believe, is, is truly what it's called. Wow. Were that many people watching Discovery that that became like the richest well, <laughs> channel conglomerate or something? Discovery Media, I believe, is not only Discovery, but it also TLC and all these other like lifestyle oh, brand networks. Say no more. That makes sense. <laughs> Honestly. That's done. Case closed. What's that? Oh, yes. Yeah, TLC. <laughs> TLC? I, oh. I understand now. <laughs> so the topic for today is Hillsong Colon, a mega church exposed, which was on the aforementioned Discovery Plus. We need to talk about it. It's something that's been much anticipated on the show. People have tagged us on all sorts of commercials and posters and advertisements for it. But we couldn't just talk about it with anybody. We needed a very, very special guest to talk about it with. So without further ado, friends and folks, he is a writer, a comedian. You may have seen him on Astronomy Club, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, or check out his podcast, Black Men Can't Jump. Give it the hell up for Jonathan, Jonathan Raylock. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Oh, my. I must say... I also have a podcast, and we do not introduce people like this, and it makes me feel bad. I have We have been cheating people out of an incredible introduction. Well, I mean, listen, I'm sure whatever your intro is, maybe it's like a better match for the guest energy, because ours, I would say, is terribly described as an assault on whatever the energy or vibe that the guest is in at the moment. Yeah, like, they never know, like, what to do, or they're like, oh, am I supposed to dance? Or, like, I have nothing to say now. I'm just like, hello. Right. And right. we're like, ah! And they're like, okay, uh, sure. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we sing along for, like, a good 15 seconds Amazing. more, and the guest doesn't even get to speak. And do the uh, chair dancing that's so beautiful to see on Zoom. Everyone's stuck in their homes just wiggling around in their own filth on whatever their awesome. little chairs it's really hot. are. <laughs> oh, gracious. Well, John, we're thrilled to have you on the show. And uh, especially Thank someone you. who perhaps could be described as a, I don't know, like a double agent of sorts, an inside a man. Double agent. A la Spike <laughs> Lee. I don't know. Someone who was there in the thick of it. A I'm, turncoat. A turncoat. Yeah, a traitor. A Is that what we're getting into? Wait. What? <laughs> a piece of shit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, oh my goodness. None of this sounds Ashamed good. Ashamed of Christ. <laughs> I was of feeling so Judas. good about the intro. <laughs> That's the shot. Doubting the chaser, if you will. That's right. As Peter denied Christ three times before the cock crowed. Uh, But before we get into that specific experience, we'd love to know just generally your history with religion, faith, how you Mm -hmm. grew up, what it meant to you, etc. Yeah, I mean, I (laughs) my wife did not close this door. Oh no. Okay, never mind. I see. She. I thought the other dog was getting. I thought. I just saw a door slowly getting pushed open. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the ghost of your um, past. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, yeah. So I grew up. Uh, I grew up Christian. I w- so here's the thing. This is the the primer for the Hillsong experience that we're about to talk about uh, is the fact that I grew up in another some kind of mega church, though not a not a global mega church. Uh, I, I I grew up in Times Square Church uh in the heart of uh Times Square in New York City. What? Uh, you, you, yeah, so that Times Square Church is the last it, it's uh forgot the exact name of the theater, but it's on Broadway right across the street from the Winter Garden Theater where Cats was and then Mamma Mia was mm-hmm. and wow. uh also also around the corner from uh uh Wicked and uh Circle in the Square 
the wow, last show that was church brunches must have been amazing. <laughs> they were all there. Alphaba, the green M M&M and M from the M and M store. So much talent. <laughs> Guy Fieri. Uh, and the pastor of that, the founding pastor of that church was David Wilkerson, who wrote this book called The Cross and the Switchblade, which was turned into a, a movie. I remember I don't know if that. You've ever heard of that? Okay, yeah, there you go. Um, and they all he also was a part of creating like World Teen Challenge, which uh-huh. is like a huge kind of organization. So oh my gosh. I, I uh I grew up like in a kind of environment that is familiar with like the pastors being a little bit famous again. It's not the Hillsong experience, but just it's a, it is relatable at least a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I went to church, you know, uh, every single Sunday uh, and uh, was very, yeah, it was was very, very involved um, uh, in a way, I don't know, it's it's hard to explain. Like I've had had a huge faith journey and Hillsong was a part of that as well. Um, But you know, it was, it's pretty conservative church, non-denominational, you know, so, Mm -hmm. which it took me a long time to even understand what the term evangelical meant. But now I think I have a better grasp of it. At the time, if you would have told me like I was an evangelical Christian, I would have been like, what does that mean? Like, I don't even like, are we, you know? Um, uh, But now I'm like, oh no, yeah, we definitely were, you know, because I take the term evangelical just to mean that the kind of main guiding principle of the church is converting people is to spread the spread the gospel mm-hmm. as it were um mm-hmm. uh and and that was definitely the main um purpose of Times Square Church and and of Hillsong um but yeah i i not to talk too much about Hillsong just yeah but i started going to Hillsong right after i graduated college so around 2011 which is when the church kind of opened up in New York Shortly after it opened up, um, and it was a lot of a lot of young people there, and it was it 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 was like a good bridge for me uh, mm. to get to where I am uh, today. Uh, yeah, can I, I ask when else. you were yeah. when you were at that Times Square Church? Uh, I imagine like you guys had a lot of outreach or ways to get people in the building, and you know, grow growing the church is always a goal. Did you like participate in any of that? Do you remember doing like? I don't know, like street evangelism or anything out in the city. <laughs> yeah. So uh very rarely did I ever do the the street stuff. I it always felt super awkward to me. Yeah. But I was a part of uh like since I when I was in fifth grade, and I, I I've always wanted to be an actor. And since I was in fifth grade, I started doing, you know, drama productions at the church. The first one I ever did was like uh like a, a, a Christmas um show that they had. Uh, and you know, this church is a Broadway theater, so it's like, <laughs> it's got a gutsy 2,000 <laughs> people, shows. Yeah, you know, okay. um, yeah, literally but, like it's full. And then like, they also would, wow. they had an annex building. So people would watch from the other places. And then, you wow. know, by the time I got to high school, they, you know, we had youth nights on Friday. Um, and then they decided like at a certain point they were like, we should put on. So they started doing plays like you know, once a month or relatively like that. I also was part of like the kids uh, ministry. We did like, um, sometimes we did puppet shows and we did little plays there. So I had like a lot of, so that was my, uh, that was, that was how I was volunteering was I was, I was acting and I, and, and acting in front of a lot of people at the time, it wasn't, didn't really dawn on me. Like, how much experience I was getting from just from that. 
Um, but I, I definitely was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, man, so many, so many stories. Well, not just I, I feel like that's so common somebody, too. Yeah. I think with a lot of people that we talk to, they got their their reps as far as performing at, at first glance with church and, and church being the stage. What's so funny though is that obviously most of the people we talk to, they're going to church in the middle of Dayton, Ohio or somewhere right. in Florida or in Texas. And then you're like literally across the street from the Gershwin Theater. And like, yeah. you know, it, it's so funny to put it in that context of like, maybe one day you could be on Broadway, which is an easy thing to say <laughs> if you're not there. It's like, one day you could like be across the street. Ten steps away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet your productions were pretty good, too. Yeah. And they start to, then they, you know, they would really ramp, ramp them up, especially for Easter and Christmas. Uh, mm. Um you know, they had, yeah, they had like full lighting equipment and, and, you know, like we had a, they, uh, they installed a scrim that like could, you know, you could do like shadows on the, I mean, it, it, it looked, wow. it looked awesome. They, like the stage actually had, you know, cause again, it's a full Broadway stage. It had like, um, you know, like the trap doors and like it could, it could move, but they, they didn't do that stuff just because like they would, you know, right after the play was done, like the, the pastor would get up and like even before the play was there they would have like you know some sense of like choir uh wow. but like there were a lot of different things that yeah like and some of them were were more were more lo-fi than others but they they were all proud mm-hmm. like this is not uh none of them were you know like a a small church in in the, in the yeah <laughs> middle america it where it's like you know, like it's like I there's guess. no light. The lights is like the lights of the fluorescent lights of the you know, <laughs> you know, basement that you're in. Um, like we had spotlights and wow, uh, drag know, colors middle and, America's <laughs> lighting through the swamp. And I will. And uh, that's <laughs> honestly what Times Square is taught. No, I'm just kidding. Not, um, not my other question is what what was okay? Did you have interactions with this pastor who was like you said, kind of a minor celebrity? And what was sort of the the feeling people had around him? I think especially in light of the the show we're about to talk about, like, were people really uh, idolizing him? Did they have criticism of him? Did your family love him? Like, how much did you even get to interact with him if it was a big church? Yeah, I mean, very little. Like, I I was, because I did some of the, my, my dad uh, taught, um, like, I remember when I was really young, they had a part like my my dad was a, a a Sunday school teacher and he taught like young like toddlers like toddler two toddler threes I think maybe another grade at some point but I do remember when we were young like he they had the toddlers in the back the backstage so we would be back there sometimes every now and then I would see the, the pastors and then when I was doing the plays they would they would talk to me more he Pastor David Wilkerson wound up passing away uh, sometime in the two thousands like early. Yeah, it looks like 2011 is when he passed. 2011, away. okay. Um, and you know, before then, he had he had kind of stepped down, and uh, mm. Pastor Carter Conlin, who's actually I don't think he's even the senior pastor anymore, but he he had taken over. Um, uh, but um, you know, you would you could it, you definitely had more access to them than 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 Carl and, and Hillsong, at least at least by the time you know we're we're at the point where this documentary is coming in. Um, but uh, it was a big church, you know, so it's like he couldn't he, he couldn't see everybody at every time. Mm-hmm. This is a lot. Again, this is through 
children's eyes, you know, because I was I was very right. I was young. Um, I felt like I feel like it's I don't know I don't I don't know I guess I don't know how how other peer, people experience their past. There's it didn't it never felt like this it's like this person's the only person who could lead us there are other pastors there there's a board of elders and all that stuff mm. uh but you there is the utmost reverence and respect for that person you see them as a man of god and you see you take everything that they say like pretty you know to heart like you, right. you're rarely thinking like hmm, is he right about that one you know like <laughs> you're like yeah of course he's right like he's pr- like god has given him all the, you know so you're not you're not questioning. Th- at least I wasn't questioning things much. Um, it, it, you know, it took a it took a while, and even when I was questioning things, it wasn't necessarily questioning the, the pastor more so right. than just you know the belief system in general. Um, yeah. When did that start? When did the questions kind of start creeping in? I mean, I always had questions, like you know, and I, I'll say, like, I still, I think I still consider myself a Christian. I I still uh, hold a lot of the beliefs it's just in a in a different way than i used to but um that started i mean like i guess it started in earnest uh probably it, like i started having i started feeling like disconnected from times square church hillsong helped me feel re- reinvigorated with my faith mm. and then um and then i started questioning things again then and then my relationship with uh, my now wife Tessa, the lovely Tessa Claire Hirsch, she uh, and she didn't grow up Christian, but had a strong sense of spirituality and strong sense of God, and so that was helpful in the process. And then I also she had this book that I read called uh, it's by this philosopher spiritualist Ken Wilber uh, called A Brief History of Everything that was really helpful in mm. kind of breaking things down, like uh, or it helped me realize that. Um, Help me separate, I, I would say, Christian culture from, like, the belief systems and then also, like, the realization that, like, sometimes people get trapped in these little, in these boxes, you know, um, and we, like, take everything at face value. Uh, right. And then you start to realize, like, wait, like, every, all of this is just other people saying stuff. Like, you know, like, even if you, even if you believe um even if you believe in all of it you're still believing in 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 these people who are saying certain things or who wrote these things down or like the people who the church that put the books together or you know right uh and like a part of the process was me honestly studying ch- like just the history of the church like the actual history of like the Catholic church and the, like, and then, then the Protestant movement and like the actual history of like how things came to be, which you at, at least, and I, and I've been in the Christian world my entire life. You never, never hear people talk about this stuff like ever, you know, and you don't learn about it that much in school either yeah. because or of separation only, of church and state, you know, if they do talk about it, it's just to like affirm the truth and like infinite you know, goodness of the church and and tracing the church you're at directly to that line of like the right. Bible, you know, or whatever. Right. It's never like contextualized in the greater history of religion or history of humanity or civilization mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. And it could be so funny. And <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like when I do sometimes learn about the context or the history or like how we got some of our beliefs, I feel like really dumb because I'm like, oh, I thought I kind of knew the context, but like I really didn't. And 
it is, it's so different, like you said, to separate the culture, which especially when you're raised in, you're kind of baked in to believe that the culture is the same as the religion, is the same as the mm. divinity of God. Right. They're all tied together and they're all like immutable, unmovable, concrete forces of good, you know? Oh, Whereas totally. it's a lot more complicated than that, obviously. Right. And it feels like people that weren't raised in the church often have a better perspective or understanding of that, you know? And, 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 and I think, so what always happened to me though, is that yes and no, yes, people, some people like they do have a better perspective of it. And those people also get bogged down into, into questions like that I'm actually not contending with. Right. So like, right, yeah. like, I'll, like I'll have debate. I had like debates with kids in high school who were like, how could you possibly believe that Noah's Ark was real? Like, and we're debating about like, could there be a boat that fits yeah. all of the animals Cubits. or whatever? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, it's such a silly debate because it's like, who, like at the end of the day, who really cares? Because right. what difference does it make if there were, you know, <laughs> every species of animal known to man or just like some of them, <laughs> you know, like, is that what the story is about? No, but that's what we're debating, mm-hmm. you know? And like, we're debating, you know, yeah, the like the literalism of, of the yeah. Bible stories versus like the allegory of what you could learn from it or what right. actually are like the core beliefs of like believing in God. And, and the thing, so this book that I read, The History, A Brief History of Everything, uh, this guy, Wilbur, he talks about, uh, he talks about things that, like uh, it, it, what he calls like um, uh, a holarchy <laughs> and uh, which is just another word for hierarchy, but it's just that the, the, without the uh, like what's above is, better than below. Um, And he also talks about these things called like a flat worldview where the idea is that like there are four quadrants uh, of everything and it's uh, the individual, the collective, and then the like kind of like inner life and then the, and like the, yeah, inner life and then the outer life. So like outer Mm -hmm. life would be like kind of objective truths, right? Uh, Or like, like this is a rock or you know like this is an atom and this is a neutron and then um the inner is like the subjective truth which is like how are you feeling like mm. and you and no one can ever prove whether you are lying or not when you talk about how you're feeling like that's just what it is like your your subjective truth is your subjective truth and these things all exist at the same time and but people try to kind kind of combat them in, you know mm, like as mm-hmm. if like like well, to pit them ex- against each other. Pit them against each other. Right. And, and so he calls it a flat worldview when you like try to make it so that you only believe one or the other. This false kind of mm. duality of like, you know, it's like only subjective truth matters or only objective truth matters. Instead right. of being like, well, they both matter at the same time. Um, and the same for individual and collective. Like only the individual matters, only the collective matters, you know. Mm. Well, no, they both matter at the same time, you know. Uh, but it's like it's a little bit of paradoxical stuff, which is what a lot of religion and spirituality is, you know, like right. you, you, there are things that it's we literally can't understand. So we create stories and metaphors, beliefs, and and you have faith, uh, you know, to try to comprehend. Even if you don't have religion, there's still a faith in whatever morals or beliefs that you, systems that you hold, you know, of things that you feel are good or bad or, you know, that kind of thing. So right. anyway, 
where you know and, but this is the this is the stuff that i i i as i started to realize that things were so much more complicated i i also started to realize how influenced by the culture christianity always is even though in the pulpits, at least the churches that I were going to, they were always talking about, don't be influenced by the culture. Right. You know, like we're getting influenced by the culture. And usually when they <laughs> say that, they're just talking about like, they're talking about like gay marriage. They're like, you know, we're getting influenced by the culture. Like you think gay marriage is okay now because you're influenced you're by the culture. You're listening to WAP. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're literally talking about the parts of culture that they did not find useful to appropriate for a exactly. faith tradition. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> in practice where it's right. like that part, the leftovers of what we, yeah. what we needed at the time. Right. And then you realize like, wait, this is like everything about modern American Christianity is influenced by the Total culture. Total product and, of it. Yes. Um, and the and the way that we th- it's like we because th- when you're reading Bible stories, you know, at least like for me, it was like you you're inserting yourself into it, and you're like, you know, it's a tri- it's a tribe, it's an identity. So you're like, well, these are people are like kind of just like me, and they're going through the similar things that I'm going through, and that is useful in in sermons and stuff to to talk about to relate, you know. Uh, and at the same time, you're like these people. <laughs> Like they did not hold the same beliefs that you did. Like we were, we're totally. trying to act like they did, and right, put like just, modern values on whatever Esther was going through or whatever. Right. It's like it's not the same. It's even as simple as like when Jesus is talking about the scriptures in the Gospels that we're reading. He's not talking about any of the New Testament that we read, but the mm-hmm. Old Testament is not focused on really in most modern churches much at all, right? right? So it's like we talk about the scriptures like it's like well it's the it's Old Testament New Testament and it's like but Jesus wasn't talking about that he was talking about these books he wasn't talking about those books you know even when when Paul is writing his letters and epistles he wasn't you know and then it's like and then you know that there there was a group of people who decided here are the letters that we're going to put in. And these are going to be, this is going to be the new Testament of the Bible. And the people that did that are the people that you now look at and you're like, are they really Christian? You know, because they're right. Catholic. Is that funny? You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know if they're even saved. <laughs> you know? But we're like, but we totally trust that they put together this Bible, <laughs> like, perfectly, and there's no question about it. Well, and look for the new BuzzFeed quiz to drop this week. Which member of the Council of Nicaea are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a total... I'm oh, I don't know Bishop who was there. Yeah. Bishop Farfu, whoever. <laughs> yeah. Bishop Johnson. <laughs> You know, it's Classic. so it's so funny, and like even pro- the Protestant movement, it's like that split immediately. They immediately started splitting, <laughs> like you know, yeah, like, because of things like you know, water baptism versus non-water baptism. Like it's like ridiculous stuff that any modern day Christian would look at and be like, "That's ridiculous," and it's like, but you're doing the same thing, you know, right. you do the same thing with other exactly. things. Exactly. I remember the way, you know, back in uh, when I was involved in a more conservative Christian community, a friend of mine at the time, who definitely erred on the side of more like orthodox evangelical Christianity, the thing she said, though, about the way she processed belief system or theology that was kind of helpful for me and obviously stuck with me, is she said, look, if it has to do with how I treat people— in, in this like direct material way in my day-to-day life, I'll probably think it about a lot and I'll probably want to understand the in and out of it and totally what it means and why and, and all of that. If it doesn't have anything to do with that, I don't really care. I don't give a shit. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. And, and like all this sort of 
discourse just ends up being fanfic and we talk about that. Yeah, it's like fun on a scholarly level, but it doesn't mean you need to like stop talking to your friend (laughs) if they believe it or whatever. And for me, the thing is, that's I love that. And I think the reason though people get uh, addicted to the fanfic of it is because the Protestant movement happened very closely to like the age of reason and the idea and like the the you know the introduction of sciences and people literally going like we can reason everything out and we can prove everything and that embedded itself into christian culture where mm-hmm. you know like at this but you know you have apologetics and you have people trying to literally reason things out even in a scientific or a pseudoscientific way of like here's everything like we can prove that this is the exact right interpretation of the Bible. Yeah, if you yeah. if you study the exact Greek, you know, and the exact Latin, like if you look at the, you know, the conjugations and the, you know, the different right. that, you know, if if you cross-reference it with the different translations and it's all of blah, 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 and it doesn't contradict each other, like it all know? works. Yeah. And it's like, it's like this, it, but it's so it's so funny, like, because nobody like I rarely ever hear people talk about how just that in and of itself is a product of the culture that mm-hmm. you know we now live in and that that started happening at say around the same time of the Protestant movement. Anyway, so we could talk about this all day, but I really want to talk about the hills. <laughs> yeah. No, and we will and we should. You know what? How about we do this? Let's take a break now and then we'll talk about all that stuff on the other side of it along with the documentary, because it's all going to be interspersed, all of our thoughts and feelings right. about that, and John, your experience there. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Good Christian Fun. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because... It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there, and you know what? You can update it with an app, so every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to Good Christian Fun. It's time to dive into the topic. Come on, let's go. Do you recognize that song, John? It was with, uh, this sounds like a hurdle game right now. You just played two it seconds is. of it. And you're like, dude, you played hurdle at all, Caroline? Which I've no. definitely pronounced as hurdle, but hurdle sounds a lot more. It oh, makes hurdle more sense. is no here. Yeah, no, because oh, hurdle yeah. sounds rhymes with wordle, and it's an actual word. Right. And hurdle yeah, is not heard. Yeah, this is of course the uh, this is kind of the not the wordle knockoff, but inspired by wordle. And this you can go to hurdle h e a r d l e dot com. Listen to one second of a song and see if you can identify it. Which is a really fun game to play. Actually, Caroline, it's kind of the game I wanted you to play with me with Bruce Springsteen's discography. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really fun for everybody. That's fun for everyone. Yeah, no. It that, is. That was, of course, Stephen Kirsch Chapman's dive uh, drop that we use every time. Well, because I'm always particularly interested in the sort of flavor of Christian pop culture that whoever it is grew up with and then what did or didn't make it their way. So for you, you were involved in the church and you were involved in the Times Square church when you were mm-hmm. a kid, and then later in in Hillsong, was there any like contemporary Christian artists or bands that you listened to on a regular basis outside of praise and worship music? Yes, it was mostly gospel artists. So uh, Kirk Franklin and God's Property, uh, Donnie McClurkin, mm-hmm. uh, Israel and the New Breed. Um, oh yeah, Israel Houghton. Um, Israel Houghton, yeah. Uh, who lived in um, my suburbs. Have I mentioned that, Caroline? That like the big giant gospel artist, because because he was yeah. at Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church, the worship leader there. Mm-hmm. He may not be there anymore. I don't know. But he lived in Kingwood, so. where I lived as well, just north of Houston. So yeah. that's just that's a fun fact for everybody. So- a lot of great songs. Yeah. Kirk Franklin, Caroline, he was a guest on our show uh, about a year ago. He uh, made me put on a fur coat uh, for his amusement. <laughs> I think you're missing. Wait, memory. really? That is true. That is a hundred percent true. We did have the reference. Uh, no offense to this episode, but probably the best episode, you know, of GCF you've, we've ever had. Kind yeah, of like, I mean, hey, incredible. do you want to gild the lily by making more episodes after that? We were like, yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so we did awesome. end up doing that. Okay, so a lot of gospel stuff. Was that the music that was at the church, or that was just those are just uh, arts you came l- to on your own? A little bit, like I mean, not. Not all of it. It was just like every now and then they would have they would have some of those uh, gospel artists like have a song. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of looked up. It's like I looked up so much stuff on my own when like you know freaking Napster and LimeWire and Kazaa were a thing, and I was just like, oh, I can like listen. I oh, you yeah. know I you know I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be listening to Christian music and not just not really secular music, and so. And then I was like, oh, I found like, you know, gospel artists that is like, oh, Mary, Mary, like this song freaking is awesome, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's certainly how I knew about Hillsong because when we, uh, they would, you know, they would put the lyrics up um, on uh, uh, on the screen, like we would have a screen, right? Uh, and so they would put the lyrics of the, every song that we sang during praise and worship. And sometimes I'd be like, this song is great. And they would have the, uh, like the artists and like they would say who, you know, they would credit <laughs> who the songs were. And I remember being like, oh, Hillsong, Hillsong. And like, and and then when I downloaded stuff, like, and these were like older, this is not like the rock version, but this was like, well, I guess they had a little bit of rock, but like, you know, this is like 
shout to the Lord and like yeah, mighty the, jar- to save, the darling you know? check stuff before it was like yeah. Hillsong United, Coldplay Core, right. knockoff. Right. Yeah. But some of those songs are still really good. Like it's like, you know, like he is mighty to save. You know, that oh, yeah. like I was like, oh man, this song, these songs are awesome. You know, so um yeah, I mean, I really, yeah, I really got into uh a lot of that when I was in high school. So what and you said this was kind of your on-ramp to Hillsong. It was yeah. it was via the music that you might have. I remember downloading Kirk Franklin on LimeWire as well as like a twelve-year-old yeah. boy. Uh, <laughs> so so you got into Hillsong, and then how did you end up going to the actual physical church that opened in New York? So I remember, you know, it was a big deal when they launched. It's so funny they <laughs> from the pulpit would talk about how it, it, they they would. <laughs> They would kind of describe themselves as this like mom and pop, like we started like in a, you know, in like somebody's apartment and like, look where we are now. And I always remember being like, what are you talking about? You have a Hillsong brand. Like everybody knows what Hillsong is. It's a huge brand, like music brand in the Christian world. Like um, you sing like, like every church, any church, like most churches, like, you know, especially Christian, like evangelical, non-denominational type of churches, they, they're singing some sort of Hillsong song uh, before churches start to do their own thing and realize like, oh, we should make our own music and, and sell it just like Hillsong does. Um, but uh, I remember I was going to Times Square Church at the time, just graduated from NYU, was living in the city. I remember people talking about it at my church being like, Oh, Hillsong's coming and like mm-hmm. creating a church in New York. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Uh, didn't go to it. And I was working at a restaurant. Um, and there was a girl there that I thought was cute. And I remember her being like, and then I remember her one day being like, blah, 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 blah Hillsong. And I was like, Hillsong, what are you talking about Hillsong for? And she was like, Oh, I just like, I went to their church and I was like, wait, you're a Christian? <laughs> like, I didn't know that. Uh, she's like, yeah. And I was like, and she's like, you were, I'm like, hey, do you want a Hillsong? She's like, yeah. I was like, oh man, I got to check it out. She's like, yeah, we should check it out. What? I'm never checking out with her. Nothing ever happened with that girl. But, um, oh, I thought uh, that was going to be, and that woman was, <laughs> that was my life. Nope, nope, not at all. Um, actually, no, we did go to church together one time, I remember. Um, uh, but, uh, I went, I went there by myself because I was like, I was like, I should finally go and check this out. Like she's talking about it sounds, you know, let me, let me go check it out. And then I did one Sunday and I was like, this is awesome. Like there's so many young people here. One of the things I always had trouble with was like having friends in the church um, that felt like I could be real friends with and not just church friends with. Uh, and very quickly at Hillsong, I feel like I could, I f- could find some of those people. Um, it's so funny. The music was okay to me. I think a lot of people were like, this is awesome. But it was because it was so rock. And like I said, I was very into gospel. I was like, this is all right. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) you got one good song out of every like five, like, uh, uh, especially because they wouldn't play their hits all the time. Like they would, as the documentary talks about play new songs constantly. Um, and some of those new songs were good and some of them were not good to me, for me personally. (laughs) Um, but, and this is really true. One of the, one of the things that really drew me to the church was pastor Carl Lentz because he was so, he was a, he's a really good preacher, like a really, really good preacher. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know kind of and and the principles of the church were very much about their they you know they had the slogans welcome home uh come as you are just uh, do it one of one of the early I'm just do it. it when you're yeah. here your family exactly <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of the other things, like a very early message, uh, Pastor Carl preached was, um, uh, uh, shoot, I'm blanking on it. Uh, like always be closing. (laughs) It was about owning your, uh, like uh, owning. Middle Eastern women are. are the hottest women. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, it was about owning Middle Eastern women. Owning your women. Oh, that made sense. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> but it resonated uh, with you at the time. You were like, "Oh yeah, that's that's really good." Yeah, I mean, like it, it it felt like so. The way that I was feeling at Times Square was so much of my Christian life was about like not sinning, and it was so it was so it was so inv- it was so self involved. It was so much about like, oh, like I have to, I I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this thing that's wrong, and I'm like. What you know? I got to be a better Christian. I got to do these things that are better. But it was right. very much about like, like sexual sin and like, um, you know, am I praying enough? Am I like, am I, you know, blah blah blah? And like, Hillsong, and with Carl had this message that was very much like, like, look, come as you are. You know, like God's gonna change you. Like, don't mm. worry about that stuff. Let's just like get out there and, and like impact people. We we mm. just care about people. Let's just get out there and like make people's lives better, you know? Yeah, and, less about like taking inventory every day of like, did you sin? Did you not sin? Right. Are you like progressing in that journey? And more like, right. No, get out there, be a part of community, take care of people. Yes. That kind of thing. And and I and I still believe that really early on, like early on, that is what Hillsong was about. Mm-hmm. Um, in this way that was so refreshing, you know. And I remember I remember, so one of the things they would do, they had two they actually what used to be four minutes of force. They called it force fellowship where, you know, it was like the, you do praise and worship. And then before they would do announcements, they would be like, all right, it's four minutes of force fellowship. Uh, and you're supposed to turn around and introduce yourself to other people. But this is a room full of young people. And it's like, and it's like, all right, so you do that. And it, it was a really good way to like make friends. And like, I'm somebody who like, I don't really talk to people that much like that. Like, I don't, I'm not into that kind of stuff. Like they, they would also do that online. I never fully bought into the Hillsong culture of like, hey, what's going on? What's up? Blah, blah. You know, like, <laughs> but like, I was like, every now and then I would talk to people and be like, oh, this is kind of cool. And during that, they would play some instrumental version of some pop song, probably, you know, uh-huh. and it would just be like, boop, 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 like the chords of whatever. <laughs> and people, and then they would, t- they, people, there were Christians who were coming into the church who were like, how dare they bring secular music into the church? And then they would talk about that on stage being like, can you imagine people being bothered by this? And I would sit there and be like, yeah, that's crazy that people are bothered by this. And I remember there were people from Times Square Church who came to a service and I, I started regularly going at this point. And I saw them there and they were like, oh, we should get dinner after. I was like, oh yeah, and we got dinner. And they were like, I don't know about this church. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, First of all, like, why are they playing secular music during your thing? And I remember just being like, do you, <laughs> are you really up. bothered by that? Like, didn't you listen to the message? Like, 
And they were like, yeah, but like, I don't know, like, why is he dressing like that? And this and that. And like Mm -hmm. some things that oddly enough were, you know, things that you are like, hmm, about afterwards. But I remember at the time being like, this is why I'm going to Hillstock. Because like, I can't stand this this version of Christianity, Mm -hmm. you know? And it felt Um, a little more chilled out. And especially, I kind of even go back and forth now, even in 22, of like, what is more the net positive or the net negative for the world? I mean, we certainly don't like the the kind of church that trains you in all of its ways to hate yourself, to hate your own body, to hate what a piece of shit you are in sin without God, etc., but then there is like a version of it where the the joy of it, maybe what you were first attracted to and going to it, which is like positive, community-centered, community-oriented. There is like a darker version of that where it becomes like low-key low or high-key prosperity theology where it's like, hey, you can get decked out in all this swag as well and wear $12,000 right. hoodies, et cetera. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. which is better or worse for the world? I don't know, but... Right, yeah. And I, and, and I will say that I still don't believe that Hillsong was ever a prosperity... I know they kind of they briefly talk about it in the documentary and in the, they're really just talking about it in in the context of other churches. Yeah. Uh I don't think Hillsong ever really was that. That said, it was a money-making machine for sure. But it wasn't like they never did the like televangelist like give a like if you give us money, God's going to bless right, you. Right, right, right. You know, at least right. not specific not they like that. They weren't explicit that's, about it. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> weren't very really explicit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh and, and yeah. Anyway, Although yeah, I think Brian Houston at some point does like, doesn't he say like something about money or maybe sure? And did. I will say I this too: I never, never really liked Brian Houston. Like, ne- didn't didn't dislike him necessarily, but whenever he guest spoke, and we would have Vision Sunday at least once a year, uh-huh. um, um, I would always be like, mm. Carl is better. like, <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And and not just like a more, I mean, definitely a more charismatic preacher, but also mm-hmm. just like there was something about there was something about Brian. And I and I and and I don't know if if I, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time necessarily, but this is wind up being one of the main reasons that I left the church was that there was something about it that was always about that always felt like it just he just cared more about the growth of the church than mm-hmm. anything else and i feel like that came through with the preaching because mm-hmm. the preaching felt very it just felt very shallow like it felt like nice words you know and like you and like you know like christianese like that kind of thing but it never really felt like it was really i i rarely ever felt challenged by anything that he said mm-hmm. i rarely ever felt uh, in, honestly, inspired by anything that he said, and I and I rarely felt like, for lack of a better term, like I didn't it, like. There was a way in which Carl spoke sometimes where I was like, "Man, God is God is speaking through this this person," yeah. and I didn't always feel that way about Brian, even though I was like, I respect, I was like, I was like, but he has to speak because he created. I get he created Hillsong, you right? Know? Like, yeah, he is the guy. <laughs> he's the guy who created all this, so right. you know. Although this like, is moment, this is the most superficial note that I could possibly make. But if you if you didn't know what his voice sounded like, if you just looked at <sighs> the man, you might say I would cast him as a goon in a mafia movie, like the <laughs> the guy beneath the God. 
The slicked back hair is such a choice. He does that every day. A sort of crime boss of the of the yeah. down under, perhaps. I don't know. Man, this is this is so petty and unchristian like of me, but like not a pleasant voice either. You know? <laughs> no, I know it. Like it's the kind of voice where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm like a little bit scared of you. <laughs> like you are like too loud and too strong. Yeah. You know, with the way you speak. Thankfully, that's an irrational um, sort of instinct that you had, Caroline. There's nothing dark here. No reason to I know, fear. And that's, I turned out to be wrong. You can't always judge a book by cover. Brian by Houston's <laughs> leadership. So the thing that we all watched before getting on the call today was Hillsong of Megachurch Exposed, which is a little docuseries on Discovery Plus that came out a few weeks ago. But honestly, it already feels a little out of date given how much information has come out and <laughs> the amount of postscripts. They should have waited a Isn't couple it months, crazy? honestly. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot that also, happened. Also, the postscripts, they needed to take more time. They, I was like, you guys, come on now. You can't just postscript like very quickly. Like, and Brian Houston's no longer part of the chapters. church. Huge chapters. Especially after you have like five people being like, he'll never leave. Yeah. <laughs> There's one thing I know about Brian Houston. No I my life. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. And even, I mean, we'll get into this, but even the statements that the church made about. Uh, him resigning and everything. I thought there was a lot to discuss there. And there's a lot of meat in that, that uh, I think further advances the argument that they're making about the, like the culture of the church. But anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, I mean, in the broadest of strokes, it's, it's a documentary talking about Hillsong, mostly through the prism of scandal. Like it doesn't spend too much time on the actual history of the church. It gets into it briefly. There's only three episodes. So, if you want to blaze on through it, get a free Discovery Plus trial and cancel after seven days, you can, listener. But, I mean, I guess I'd recommend it. There was some stuff in the documentary that felt like new information or insightful in a different way, especially putting voices and faces to some of the names, and especially in some of the accounts of, of what happened. Overall, I didn't find it to be particularly insightful. I think it does suffer from comparison, at least— Maybe for you and me, Caroline, in in comparison to something like the rise and the fall Mars of Mars Hill, Hill. yeah, no, that totally. podcast. This is a podcast, John, that um, actually Christianity oh, Today put out uh, over the last couple months. They started last year and then it wrapped up. I think the beginning of this year. That's Rob Bell's church. That's well, that Mar- Mars church. Hill is a Rob Bell church, but this is the other Mars Hill around the same time oh. up in the Seattle Pacific Northwest area. Mark Driscoll was kind of the the head, the, oh. the face, the the spearhead of that. Yes, yes, yes. And that podcast takes a lot of time connecting the dots and then also giving cultural context to the whole conversation. So it's not just, hey— This the, documentary lacked that so badly. It certainly felt like that. It felt like a really cursory glazed over of like, I don't know, people heard of Carl Lenz because of Beaver. I guess we could milk a little out of this thing. It, it, it's one of those things like th- there's definitely a trend happening now in television where, oh, this was a movie— that they wanted to make as a movie, but instead they could only get it made as a TV show. Here, and then it's like two hours too long. And this right. is the opposite problem where it's like, no, I needed like three more hours to actually understand this. This is my theory on this though, is that, and it says it in the documentary, Brian Houston says it, like there are multiple documentaries being made about Hillsong at the same time. Mm. I feel like this one was like, let's just finish first. We'll just the be first, the first yeah, one. Yeah, that's like the first, first one, one on the, the moon. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I, and I, and I, because it feels like it, it feels rushed and it feels not like, it is, it's not great. Like I love documentaries and I like, I watch this and I'm like, I'm like, this 
It's like it's somewhat it, like the the material is interesting. So inherently, it's it's somewhat of an interesting documentary. But like the the actual artistry of documentary filmmaking, I was like, you're lacking on it in a lot of, repeat a lot of ways. I also I wish there were more uh, Hillsong staffers in it, and maybe they're committed yes. to other documentaries. And that <laughs> and I that's think might why. be true. And but I, will I say, think that was a huge missing piece as well. Like they couldn't find more people that worked at the church that could talk about it. I mean, God bless those Kiev pastors. I love them. They were amazing. <laughs> and by the way, go check their Instagram because they are in yeah. the war zone still. Um, <laughs> Crazy. And commenting on the documentary at the same time, which is just insane. But yeah, yeah but otherwise, like it just it. It was like, yes, everyone's perspective here is valid, but it is a little shallow and it is a little scattered in a way that it's, it's not connected. Yeah. It's not connected. And they try and then and then it's again, maybe people all the people won't catch this, but like because I watched them all the time and because I was part of Hillsong, there's a part of me that was like every now and then I'd be like, You guys are trying to connect things that don't, and you're making it seem it's like I, I'm like, what does that person have to, anything to do with this? Totally, what this person saying you made the argument like, like thinner than it ne- than it actually is. You know, yeah. Um, um, I do have I, like my friend Janice is in it. Uh, I know oh, Brandon. Wow. Um, like our friend uh, Kelsey like, McKinney is in it. Uh, who was one of the reporters that that first reported on her oh, song a couple of years ago? Okay. Yeah. So yes, but, uh, so we yeah. all have personal connection to. Uh, we have the thinnest <laughs> of personal connections to it. But I also feel like they just scratched the surface on the impact of the music of Hillsong. Like it was, it was so quick, but I feel like that, um, maybe that's a piece of the cultural context that would have just been the key to so much of describing like the influence of that church Yeah, and why Kevin and I say hail Hillsong. Hail Hillsong. The, the hydra of, um, churches that hail have uh, reached their t- tentacles and everything. <laughs> hail Hillsong, of course. Yes. Yeah. So it, it breaks down to three episodes. Uh, to the first two of which are primarily concerned with the lengths of it all. And the thing that probably feels the most, I don't know, salacious or whatnot. It just feels like an underline of very page know. six. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But they, they, um, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing her name, but they do spend a good amount talking to Rainin Karim, the woman that Carl Lentz had an affair with. And it is just so funny to watch her play videos in full. Of, oh my gosh. Ooh, video like messages. Like uh, Yeah, it's like, why did you unmatch me? It's me. But Carl Lentz is doing that, like driving shirtless in whatever uh, oh, car he was in at so the time. So weird. That is the most, it has to be the most hurtful thing for Laura and and his kids to watch. Because like, yeah. if they ever watch it, they probably never will. But like, the fact that he sent, those I don't I, I don't know why obviously the adultery is the, is the worst part but like it feels so much worse that he was sending private video messages he was sloppy it, that's what I'm saying like the other thing about it is like it feels like you had no shame about this mm-hmm. totally you know what totally. I mean like if I like as a Christian who held a lot of guilt and shame about things that I've done. You know, even some of the things that maybe I shouldn't even have to feel that guilty about. But like, you better believe I was putting that all that stuff in the dark and, and erasing browser history and not wanting anyone to ever know. There is no journal entry. There's no written record. <laughs> you know, like, I just like, yeah. I just can't imagine. Like, because it, it, it just says something about 
at least the place that he was in, that he was doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm sorry, go, real quick, go I'm just going to grab, I'm just going to grab my, uh, <laughs> my laptop charger. Sorry. Oh, get it. the charger, man. And then I got some things to say. Hey, Caroline. I've got some things to say. Wait, did I tell you what I found out about her the other day? About Fran? Yeah. No. In Yale, she went out to dinner with her boyfriend who invited his friend, a guy, who brought his girlfriend as well. So it's Francis, her boyfriend, and then this other couple. Mm -hmm. So Francis and this other girl end up breaking up with their boyfriends, but they became friends and moved in with each other at Yale. And the other woman was Holly Hunter. And they became best buds. Isn't that wild? That's so great. They're like bros. That makes total sense. And there was a brief time because all of their careers were um, intertwined with each other for a little bit. Where Joel and Ethan Cohen, Francis McDormand, Sam Raimi, and Holly Hunter all lived together in a house in Silver Lake. Oh my God. Isn't that wild? That's so that's so cute. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I know. If you Big ju- fans. if you fans type in Holly them. Hunter, Francis McDormand at Google, a lot of fun stuff comes up. Wow. And I love that they don't even like trade on that friendship. You know, like that's not something that they play up for the press at all. Like they don't talk about it. They're not a Braff and on about it. I'll say that much. Mm. <laughs> Although I would listen to that. That's the only celebrity podcast I would listen to if it was Hunter and Didn't McDormand. Did they do a podcast? Oh, oh, I thought you know Braff and No, Hunter and McDormand. No, like, I'm not listening can. to that. Um, well, one of the okay. things that the documentary touched upon, which m- maybe was a common thought or theory, I don't know what you want to say, is the idea that all of this coming out the way that it did, that Carl Lentz stepped down from the church, and then it was leaked that he had had affairs and there was all this wrongdoing and, and you know, sexual misconduct <laughs> or like moral failures, was that it was uh, an act of war on the part of Brian Houston because Lentz mm. was thinking about leaving already. So before he could, the documentary at least posits the theory that Houston leaks all this stuff so that he can't, that Carl Lentz can't erode the audience of Hillsong and take it with him once he makes his exit. That is right. very interesting. Yeah, because how so, else did that information get out there? Like, why did Lentz admit, admit to it before? Like, where? what were the machinations happening behind the scenes? Well, well apparently, Tulu, who I also, who I know, she's one of the uh, kind of uh, bigger leaders at, at the church, she apparently found it on his on his computer oh or something like that like found the messages and then alerted you know uh Who, Brian why was anyone looking through his messages in the first place you know like even that is strange true yeah and i think well here's the i i, I think i mean you know they talked about the fact that like this isn't the it, this documentary documentary doesn't go into other other accusations or stuff that apparently was has been happening with Carl at all really yeah, it like maybe yeah. says one sentence about it but like doesn't go into it at all there there's an article that recently just came out that talked about so m- actually much worse than than this uh, this thing that happened like he had uh sexual encounters with another of the pastors why who oh was the god. nanny of of their kids of Carl and Laura's I kids about this. oh my god and this <laughs> apparently happened for like like for like a period of a couple of years you know and Ugh. like he was you know 
like gaslighting them about it or stuff like that. Like Laura found out about it, you know, oh, at a certain point. That's right. That's right. You know, it, in the report, like, it's alleged that she does punch Laura punches the nanny and current Hillsong yeah. passed her in the face. And that working with Lintz caused many churchgoers to suffer from mental illness, which sounds bad. Uh <laughs> This is very yeah, do- well, see now they, that's the stuff when they add that kind of thing out of like and, and they and this caused a lot of people to have mental illness. I'm always like, well, okay. I mean, can we talk? Not not that that didn't happen. I know friends who I'm sure feel don't definitely feel like the church caused the mental illness, which I also think is not necessarily just a Hillsong problem. It's a Christian problem. Yes, but uh, which there are some things in this documentary that I was like, that's more of a Christian problem. Yeah, actually. like, oh, this happens at every church. This is not like a Hillsong thing. That's yeah. why yeah. you, you, you really thirsted for that context when the dramatic music comes up and they cut to the guy who specializes and whatever, and they say they actually make volunteers do free labor at Hillsong. Yeah. It's like, yeah. That whole part, I was yeah. like, I'm like, yeah, yeah like, like how every, every church runs Every that church. Way. And Even your cute honestly, little local church preachers and other non. You know, <laughs> nonprofit charities, like that's what charities do. They have free labor, you know, and nobody's forcing you to do it. Like now they can create a culture. And what the other thing that they said too, which I kind of took a little bit offense to, was like, uh, they're like, they're they're preying on young minds because they know that young minds can be molded. And I'm like, yeah, that's everything like that is literally everything what, that's yeah. literally everything that's the university Everybody system works. that's capitalism <laughs> that's entertainment that's, that's politics yeah. that's- like sometimes the the comparisons <laughs> to like uh cult taxic tactics you know i was like i see what you're trying to say here and i think that there's definitely like authoritarian shit going on that is strange but like it's Church tactics are also a thing, you know, like that just happen and aren't necessarily nefarious, but they're not, not they're not great, but they're not the same as like a a cult leader amassing influence and like that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. And uh, there was one guy who I really didn't like in in this documentary. It was one of the, the older guys. All his thing was, was former Hillsong volunteer, which to me means absolutely nothing. This like church had hundreds of hundreds hundreds, hundreds of volunteers of every week yes. like <laughs> you know you know what i mean like hundreds of volunteers every week and not necessarily the same hundreds so like, I, like you being a volunteer doesn't necessarily mean anything now, again now i'm not trying to like disparage this guy but like there was a way in which he was talking because i could one tell that he's still a christian and probably at another church right now he was one of the guys who was like who was like hillsong is not a church you know it's oh, a corporation yeah. mm-hmm. and, and i was like okay if you were talking about mega churches in general and like how Hillsong is, is, you know, kind of the symbol, like, you know, the kind of the epitome of that, I get you, but it didn't seem like he was talking about that. He just seemed like he hated Brian Houston and hated Hillsong in particular. <laughs> and like, instead of, again, not bringing in the context of like, of like, yeah, when churches try to grow and try to open up, you know, other, other branches across the country, they're starting to act like corporations and like, They have liability and all this stuff like and they need to operate that way to do what they do. Now, you can say that's why churches should never 
have more than one one church branch, but that's a larger conversation that's outside of like totally. Hillsong being this like Bully. nefarious, you yeah, know, cult. The, the like, seven spheres of influence or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's also most churches, especially conservative churches. This is not unique to Hillsong. And I think that uh, the podcast Mars Hill did a better job of contextualizing like, hey, don't just be mad at Mark Driscoll. Don't just be mad at Mars Hill ask yourself, like, what is the legacy? How do churches like this come to exist in the first place? And a lot of the time it's because us as attendees, like, want this from our church and we participate in it and we we allow the structure to exist this way. Like, question that rather than, was this one guy, like, you know, fucking around and, oh, isn't he so evil? You know, like, ask yourself, why did I want a guy like Carl Lentz to be the leader of the church in the first place? Mm-hmm. And- I will say this too, to that point, you know, like I think this guy said, or somebody said, like they were like, yeah, and everybody wanted to be like Carl Lentz. They were dressing like, and by the way, totally a thing with a lot of people. And it was something that at the time I was making fun of to other people that <laughs> weren't like that. And I would be like, look, everybody's getting the freaking Hillsong haircut. Everyone's getting yeah, their yeah. haircut in the way, way. We They're experienced the that clothes. at our church as well. Caroline and I did. Yeah. Where everyone dressed like the pastor. A, a, a pastor who legitimately did not court anywhere near the fame or attention and did not have the cravenness of a lens as far as the celebrity goes. But still, right. nevertheless, inevitably, that is a trickle-down thing that happens in a church. If there's an attractive, right. charismatic man at the center of it, the congregation right. will adopt traits and characteristics of that right. person. And the thing, so the thing, and the thing about that that's weird to me is that it's so obviously mirroring our culture and what people do. It's not necessarily that it's that even a bad thing. It's just odd to see in a place that's supposedly supposed to be not like the culture that it is. Right. It's something that other churches could complain about and you would be like, yeah, I get that. It's weird for outside of the church to complain about because I'm like, well, that's, you all do that. You all mirror yeah, like every other like celebrity. celebrity. Culture. Yeah. That's celebrity culture and celebrity worship, which Amer- that's just America, you know? Yeah. Um, and the Western world in general. But it is like, it, it was a funny thing at the time because I was like, why are, pe- why are people doing this? Like, and it's, to me, it says something. It's like, again, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like I'm victim blaming, but like, Another thing that I was thinking when I was watching this was like, how much culpability do people have? Like, yes, you're young, but you're not, you don't have zero agency. Like, and the thing was providing you something at the time. And this is true. Like, I feel, how I feel about Hillsong is very similarly to how I feel about like Upright Citizens Brigade. It was like a a community that I, like, you know, like kind of ingratiated myself in and it really benefited me in a lot of ways. And at the same time, I was looking at it being like, man, there are problems with this place that mm-hmm. eventually became too much. And it was like, this place really sucks. And it was like, you're trying to change it, trying to change it. They don't change. And eventually you're just like, forget it. And they collapse because right. of all the problems that were happening with it. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't, it doesn't all, it doesn't just mean that like, you know, like, Oh, can you believe it? Like UCB scanned me out of all this money you know, trying to do improv. It's like, no, I was, there was a thing that I was, you know, and it was like, it's not like they didn't give you the thing that you asked for. It just wasn't what you wanted it to be. And, and it's not that you can't be upset about that, but it's weird. It's like, it's to me, the like slave labor stuff, you know, with Hillsong or like the, like, you know, like 
you know, I worship this guy as a leader. And it's like, can you believe that he cultivated this like cult leader worship personality? And I was like, he did, but also not everybody bought into that. Like I, I did it. Like I really like Carl Lentz, but I, right. if he started it wasn't doing things unavoidable. That, yeah. Yeah. John, it's like, if you start, how much did you like Carl Lentz? Were you, what, what kind of things perhaps did you maybe post at the time about him on, uh, <laughs> social media <laughs> what kind of words oh, do you yes. take to heart <laughs> yes i was telling that before we started but i had a old facebook post that popped up on my feed literally the day that i watched the first episode of this documentary that uh was a quote from carl lentz that said don't be weird carl lentz on relationships love it <laughs> love uh, it he loved it <laughs> i loved it Oh my god! Yeah, that's so terrific. Funny. Hey, and have Don't you be been weird. weird about relationships since then? No. So I really try. I tried not to. It worked. <laughs> well, it, and and what he was commenting on, which is the thing that I love, is that like it, it like, and especially coming from a place like Times Square Church, where it's funny when this woman in the documentary was recounting like all the stuff that Carl was saying and being like, "Can you believe he was like trying to get control of us by like telling like, you know, telling us like we can't have sex and and this and that," and I was like. And I was, and there were like these rules and I was like, you don't understand. I went to a church where I participated in a play that was basically saying, hey, you could, you could kiss your girlfriend before you marry her, but that's probably a sin. <laughs> and, right, like purity culture existed before and after Carl Lentz. Yeah, we were pu- Joan- the Jonas Brothers wore purity rings. Like, like right. the, the 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 like all of that stuff is just Christian stuff. That like, you know, I I I I'm like I get it because it's it's still valid to talk about because Hillsong was also participating in it while also trying to put on this face of like being like we're a little more progressive than they actually were, you know. And I think that's the the stuff that the they didn't talk about in the documentary. It was like race stuff and LGBTQ stuff because this church yeah. is in the heart of New York City and it had a lot of people, a lot of people of color that would attend the church and it had a lot of uh, people in the LGBTQ community that would attend the church. And the ch- and Hillsong New York had was very intentional about never wanting to talk about that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, from the pulpit, even though if you put a gun to their face, they'd be like, we believe that homosexuality is a sin. Every now and then, a pastor, a guest pastor, who is more conservative would come in, and if they said something about it, people would, it would bristle the church and people would feel weird about it. And then multiple times, like Carl would come up like the next week or even after be like, hey, some things were said and we don't really like to talk about that stuff here. We like to deal with our our, our, our own stuff and inside the church, we're sorry that happened, Whoa. blah, blah, blah. We want everyone to feel accepted, but this and that. But then like, and here's the other thing that they didn't talk about in the documentary. Yes, Carl was amassing a profile that was much bigger than Brian Houston, but there were all, but people were attacking specifically Hillsong, New York City. The Christian world was attacking Hillsong, New York City because Carl was, got on this bent, um, Black Lives Matter and and being kind of a- anti-Trump. And that was a huge thing that was happening at the time. Wow. That and Brian Houston, because Brian Houston's way more connected to the conservative world than Carl was. Yeah, praying over President Trump at like the dumb prayer yeah. breakfast where they had McMuffins he, that, or whatever. He, <laughs> the McMuffin <laughs> prayer breakfast of 2020 or whenever the hell it happened is 
so funny. It is a who's who of the worst people. Oh my God. And we've seen that picture. We've talked about that day a lot. I didn't know he was there. Yeah, I know. And that picture again, I was like, oh my gosh, that this image. Yes. But Uh, but sorry, Jonathan. You were speaking to the ideological No, I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that, like, and and just like Hillsong New York was trying to, you know, like cradle the fence, Brian Houston's been cradling that fence for the whole time of being like, you know, no, no, no. We still believe in in all the things that conservative Christians believe in, and right. also trying to support Pastor Carl because he's this, you know, you know, as they say, money making machine or whatever child. it was, yeah. whatever the intention intentions were behind it. You know, like it was a thing that was happening, and it was increasingly because Carl was so active on twit on on social media, which is a thing that I feel like he it was such a downfall of another downfall of him too but like he would literally argue with people on social media and he would argue with people other christians on social media about black lives matter because those people would be like black black lives matter is racist all lives matter and he would get into it with them you know and like and it was it was it's just such a weird thing because the the there were so many things happening at the church at the same time you know because then you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but very fa- like kind of famously, at least famously for Hillstar at the time, there was a, a worship leader who was gay and he was openly gay and he wound up like, I think doing an article about about it at a certain point. And then because of that, other people were like, oh, they attacked Hillsong, the global brand, and being like, Hillsong accepts homosexuality. And so they had to go, no, we don't. And they had to take that guy off the worship team. Oh, yeah. This is Josh Canfield in 2015. That would have been, yeah. These are stories that I think are, uh, one, a little bit more interesting, and two, like a little bit more of a specific indictment of the Hillsong problem, (laughs) you know, and like what they were trying to do. And I think that, um, I mean, they talk about it in the other two, which is an amazing show, <laughs> but like that, right. that faux progressivism, you know, even if Carl like actually had some progressive uh, beliefs that was t- to attract like an urbane millennial city dweller, uh, but would turn on you if like if push came to shove and if it became public, you know, that they were accepting these people, they would have to double down. And like you said, their actual internal conservative beliefs because they are a global church and they're ultimately accountable to Brian Houston and what he believes too. So I think that is more interesting and, Brian and more Houston, craven and and sad yes. yeah. too, you know, and, than and like again, Carl Lentz fucking around. Like, yeah, it was bad, but I don't really care about that, you know? like That was just the thing that broke the dam because it was like, right. the it was like- It was just so public. Again, people were, people, a lot of people in Christian world didn't like Carl for these, for, for a lot of reasons. Brian probably didn't like Carl for those reasons and the and the the bigger whatever like there were there were problems there were there there was friction already there uh and then obviously the pandemic like made it harder and then when this came out it was like well it's such a, a clear and obvious like moral failing as they keep saying right like thing. hypocrisy like, you know and hypocrisy it just you know and uh, the world will always take down a pastor that cheats you know on his wife like that you know there's no that, there's not a, there's that, that is the yeah. thought I had while watching it. It's almost like, uh, and I I know a lot of people like this show. I've only seen an episode, but it's almost the way I feel about 
The Righteous Gemstones is a satire of televangelists where it feels like such low-hanging fruit that I don't understand what it could possibly say about Or it's like the guy on TV yes. that says, if you give me money, God's going to give you a Ferrari is lying. Is that interesting? In the same way, like you're saying, John, like yes. a, a pastor who cheats, a pastor who's a hypocrite, who preaches purity culture off one side of his mouth and then fucks around his wife on the other side of his mouth— is always going to exist. But what is the most salient, most interesting thing about this church and this story in particular? And I think it would require something that the documentary doesn't do, which is zooming in like 25 or 50% more or zooming out like 300% to connect it to this wider culture of like, as Caroline was saying, the sort of wolf in sheep's clothing that happens, especially with the queer community of like Hillsong knows how to get people like uh, our beloved Vanessa Hudgens and and Bieber to join who have gay friends and would be probably shocked to find out that Brian Houston on record has said, we don't at all affirm gay people, but they're welcome to come. But what we're saying about the sense of connected to the larger issue or zoom in and maybe it is a little salient or Shakespearean, which is why I am eager in 10 to 20 years hopefully less, to see the fictional dramatization of this sort of Shakespearean, honestly, succession-esque drama of a power struggle between these two people that are probably not great at the end of the day, that have competing ideologies with how to, like, lead this huge monolith of a church. Uh, And you, you actually, honestly, you actually could cast Jeremy Strong as Lentz and Brian Cox as Brian Houston. It wouldn't be that much of a stretch. Although I know some people. Jeremy uh, doesn't have the swagger at he, all. He may not. No, he no, may not. not, a, not no, not a lot. A, sorry, not at not all. Not at Carl all. Is, and here's the thing. Here's the thing you can't deny. It's just like, even if you don't, even if you're not attracted to the type of person, like the type of look that Carl is, mm-hmm. he was, it was true. It's like, you're like, this is a very attractive pastor. Sure. Who has, who is funny. Like, mm-hmm. he's funny. And, like, even the stuff, like, in, like, in the documentary, they're trying to show cuts of, like, like, look, he's kind of like, like, he's, like, like, they, they do the whole thing about him crying, which he did a lot. And it was a thing. It was, like, a thing where you're just, like, Carl. Like, if it feels, it's both for show and real at the same time. It's so mm-hmm. hard to even describe. It's, like, he'll say something and then it'll just start going, you know, and do the tears or whatever. <laughs> And like they asked him about it on one of the interviews that he did, and and he was like, "No, yeah, look, those are fake tears." You know, he like he knew how to talk like about himself. About, right. He's so self aware. Like he was self aware about all of it. You know, and like, and that's the thing that's so disarming, and why he's a really good liar. You know, when he ha- when he was lying, and it also makes it go. You go like, and you will never know. But it's like, what 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 was the stuff that he's lying about and what not? Because one thing we do know is that power corrupts. And I, and like, I, I kind of refuse to believe, which I, I feel like the documentary and some of the people in the documentary were trying to do, say was that like, I refuse to believe that Carl like had bad intentions the whole time and only cared about himself and didn't care about other people. Mm-hmm. I really like, you don't think just he was like from, a narcissist. I'm not saying he, I don't think he, that he was in, well, Here's the thing. I don't think he was a, cl- a clinical narcissist because it feels like a clinical narcissist that ne- can never really care about other people. Mm. And I just don't, I just don't believe that with, 
with Carl. Do mm-hmm. I believe that he has narcissistic tendencies? Absolutely. And honestly, so do I. I mean, like anybody who's in the arts or, you know, like <laughs> there's always a little bit, right? Like most of us do. We have social media, like people post, you want likes. And, yeah. <laughs> I'm the one. I'm <laughs> no, the No, no, you're one. hosting this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You don't care how many people listen to this. You don't. You just. You're just doing it for the good of humanity. That's right. It's a and fully I, yeah. altruistic. I know what you're saying, though. And and again, <laughs> that's what I think would have been more, more interesting to zoom in on about this right. particular guy. The absolute highlight of the documentary for me was seeing young Carl Lentz at Wave Church in Florida or North Carolina, wherever it was. Looking like Paul Rudd in oh my gosh the hair in Wet Hot American Summer yes. having that haircut was uh, that was a shock was an absolute highlight at least for me yes oh my gosh yes so yes. that part of it Absolutely. but yes one of those things where like who why why does uh you know like Jonathan saying this person that may have, at some point or maybe throughout had some good intention mixed in with this like absolute corruption like. Interrogate that. You can have empathy for that. You can humanize that a little bit and and demonstrate how that happens along the way. If it's unavoidable or inevitable, then like lay out the steps for that and then zoom out to a different sort of thing. But the documentary that we watch is just so disinterested in that it would rather spend a lot of time and maybe more time, obviously, than I would have liked in episode three, talking about Brian Houston covering up for the sins, literally, the crimes of his father, Frank Houston. Which is which it was is, it was very graphic and maybe I I don't recommend listeners watch that which was just um, the TLDR of that and he has been arrested for right. this now in 2022 which is good. Oh, Brian got arrested for that. Yes, which is what caused him to step down. There was a couple things. Well, he's in the. That I thought co- he was yeah. just like still in court proceedings or something. Okay. Well, he's. I mean, he was arrested, but he is in court proceedings. Right. He's, he's not in, in jail. He's not in prison. Okay. No, 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 no. He he got out on no, bail. But obviously. but his his father Frank, who started the church that did become Hillsong, uh, was guilty of sexual abusing and, and molesting many young men, and Brian was a key part in two different countries. Of the, uh, yeah, in two different countries yeah. over multiple years, and Brian was a key part of the cover up. It's one of those things when you hear about it, it's so dark and disturbing. And obviously, we understand how the QAnon ideology is so warped version of reality. And then you hear shit like that, and you're like, oh, I don't know, right. maybe. <laughs> and I will, I will say, like, I, man, I, it, what they did was so wrong. I do think that the context of the cover-up happening 30 years after, like, I do think that does matter a little bit. Like, not, 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 it doesn't justify anything, but it, it, to me, is a little different than like this thing happened. People heard about it at the time. Uh, Brian, like the Brian Houston heard about it at the time and covered it up. It was like this thing happened in 1970 something. Brian Houston heard about it in like 1999. And then, but the person who he heard about it from was the victim himself. You know, as a, an adult man saying this, and then it's and then he still was like, "I'll just like give this person money," you know, yeah. uh, and I, and not and like, because the thing that's weird about that that's I mean, and, and it makes it it it's it actually makes it just like not it's obviously morally wrong, but it's just like it's more it feels so foolish because it's like, dude, this church has done so many things since this happened. If you had just been open and honest about that, and like allows your father to maybe go to prison in his old age for the horrible crimes that he did, like the church would have been fine. Like, but this is the thing about 
any institution, but uh, you know, uh, it's so so tragic with religious institutions because it's supposed to not be this way that they care more about their freaking brand than they do uh, people. Totally. You know, um, yeah. I was yeah. I was thinking, um, you know, if you were a Hillsong loyalist that watched this documentary, it'd be really easy to say like oh, but they didn't talk about, like, all the good stuff that happened at the church, you know? And, like, this church changed my life or this church saved me or whatever. And, you know, in the Mars Hill podcast that we keep talking about, like, they they gave time for that, which I think was really important because it helped the argument feel a little less lopsided when they did discuss, like, the horrible, horrible stuff that happened. And it did help I, I think diffuse that argument because um, the church's defense so often and probably would have been Brian Houston's defense at the time is like, well, this is a small group of bad things that happened to these people, which is terrible. And we don't want that to happen. But look at all the great stuff the church has done. And like they really lean on the numbers and the scale of the goodness look of the church. Look at the fruit. Exactly, and how that's right. almost justification, or it absolves them for like the horrors that are actually a lot bigger than they'll ever acknowledge, and that what happened to the people, especially children, in Jesus's point of view, would matter so much more, you know, yeah. than like the hundreds of thousands of attendees yeah. and conversions that happen on a weekly basis that they would love to play up. When when someone does come for them and say like, "Hey, there are actually some victims, and there should be some consequences," and like, because here's the thing, I, I, and that maybe this probably will sound <laughs> controversial, but the, the the controversial thing about Jesus that I do believe in is forgiveness, and that forget and that when you believe in forgiveness, it has to extend to everybody, you know. Now. The whole thing about forgiveness, though, is that there has to be some sort of repentance. You have to acknowledge what you did was wrong and be actually contrite and and feel sorry and bad about it. And a part of that, if that means going to jail, if that means having to pay, you know, somebody, if that means whatever you have to do to try to make it right, you know what I mean? Like, that's a part of that process. It's so sad that a church that believes in that couldn't cared more about trying to make this go away in, in in some sort of like fear that like it would it would it would hurt the church instead of going how about we do the thing that we believe in mm-hmm. you know and you talk about it from the pulpit all the time it seems like you're okay with like talking about how god will get you through anything when it's like people coming at you and making documentaries about you but you couldn't believe that god could have helped you got get through this totally. horror, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, and it shows it, if you the had real just priority, done the right thing, which is the brand and like right. protecting your family, yeah, and that kind of thing. And that's the that's the stuff that's so that's the stuff that's so tragic in the and the incident that happened with the uh, the um, the young woman who who was uh, mm-hmm. assaulted by like you know this and again it was uh, this other thing where it's like it's so easy to do the right thing there. Um, and instead, they were more fearful of like, oh, how will this hurt the church's brand? Yeah, uh, or how will this hurt like, the the abuser? Like, well, they're not going to do well in prison. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh, we can send criminals to prison, but not my friend, you know? <laughs> Crazy. And yeah. like, and like, I mean, so yeah, that, that stuff was, but to your earlier point, <laughs> uh, like, 
I do wish that they had talked about some of the good stuff. And like, also even like that, the one of the women who started, uh, actually don't know her pronouns, but I, I thought, uh, but like she's, she said like, if I had, if I hadn't left a second sooner, like I would have lost my life, which was such a dramatic thing to say, but Maybe I missed it. I feel like we never got her story. Like I didn't know what the context of that no, really was. No, I mean like, they she- didn't really outline it that much. No, you okay, wish. Okay, I was wondering time. too because I was like I had to watch this during work because <laughs> I forgot we to never- watch it last night, which I usually don't. But yeah, and I was like, wait, maybe I missed when she described no, like what happened to her. But it just sounds never- like she was burned out on volunteering. Like there must have been more to it. But yeah, it was I know, weird. and it was like I was like, what? Like no, actually, you can't I, I do found that. it online. There was a deleted scene, and she was riding a motorcycle really dangerously to Hillsong every Sunday, oh. and so she would have <laughs> oh, lost her like life because she was problem. doing like stunts and stuff on the way there to Hillsong, New York City. <laughs> Jesus, what was that? Sorry, something just oh, man. snapped in also, my room. Also, was it the Holy Spirit? Um, what the fuck? It sounded like an electrical pop. Oh, well. I'm just going to investigate this just for a second and make sure nothing. You're getting loud and clear here. fire. <laughs> okay. What the fuck? That was weird. I'm sorry. Okay, continue. What pop? We didn't hear anything, Caroline. It was like an electrical, like, Okay. Not not to sound like we have a persecution complex. Does it feel like the enemy is attacking this podcast tonight? <laughs> yes. Yes. There are slings yes. and arrows left and right technologically coming at us. And the they don't want to hear. Principalities of darkness are coming against this podcast right now. I, I guess my last thought about like what would have been the most interesting thing to, to focus on they touch upon it with some of the Scientology stuff because Scientology has some of the same priorities. It would appear as Hillsong in minor parts. But the thing that's novel about Hillsong is just scale. It's such a recognizable brand in the culture right now in a way that no other church is. And much like the old social network tagline, you don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies. It's like, what would it, what, what did it take to get to this scale? There was definitely a price paid. And it kind of outlines the price, but it doesn't explicitly make that connection. Of I, it, They do show the clip of, of Houston on the Today Show at yeah. one point saying, there's no such thing as too big as far as a church that goes. That was a great... I was like, man, what a great question to ask. And then what a revealing answer for yes. him to mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and particularly, it is this kind of church that is the first thought uh, when it comes to tax-exempt status, which was something, was that vo- law voted upon in the 80s? Or or I, f- I, forget, I forget when the law became churches can file as 501c3s and will not be, you know, taxed in the way that businesses and companies are. But- Hillsong is the kind of church when people who oppose that idea think about that and like, oh, that shouldn't be a law. When it's in, in reality, the, the 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 vast majority of churches that exist are like are not, yeah. local communities. and like, Yeah, and you need that tax exempt status. You absolutely need it. And it's like, it shouldn't be controversial. But, and, and it does function like the way mutual aid functions at its but best. But Hillsong does ruin it for... for be, because it does give a valid argument for churches not having it because... It does act exactly like a company, and this is honestly the the one of the main reasons that I really started drifting away from Hillsong. Out, you know, out, the LGBTQ stuff was 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 a part of it, but the other part of it was like I just kept going. Like I saw 
how much resources the church had, not just in terms of money, mm-hmm. which they had a lot of, but just in terms of the power of people. Like there were so many young, passionate, determined, kind-hearted people going to that church who really wanted to make a difference. Like that's like so many people were there for that reason. Like people can say they were there for the celebrities and like, and like, it's like, yeah, of course. Like if you hear like, Oh, Kevin Durant, like I, like I, like, you know, I saw Tyson Chandler talk and it was like, you know, he's a basketball player. And I was just like, Oh, that's cool. Like, it's like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but that's not that, that, I mean, the people who are, the people who were volunteering every week, that's not why they were there. That's ridiculous. Though those people were there because they believed in in something, you know. And instead of utilizing that, which we I feel like we did it early on, Hurricane Sandy hit uh, in I think 2012, and like Carl got people to go out. We went out to the Rockaways and like help people, mm. you know take out all the trash in their homes and like break down like drywall because like it got flooded and destroyed and like help rebuild people's homes. Like, like, and then like also we're like handing out, you know, just like food and water and things like that. Like, and it was like, it was so like run and gun, like, like kind of disorganized, maybe to a, to a fault. But like, there was a time there where it felt like that, that church had more of that mission but the Hillsong brand, and this is less, to, I think, to do with New York and more to do with Hillsong Global, was all about the conferences. It was all about the concerts. It was like they had mm-hmm. three conferences a year. There was like the Hillsong Conference. They had color conferences for women. They had like a youth conference. And like, and they and every conference that you would go to, they'd be promoting the next one. They'd be like, tickets are on sale now for the next one. You have to buy the next one. It was like, it was so much about that. And like, there were so many events like throughout the week. You have this thing called Hill, the Hillsong Hangover because people would volunteer at church all day. At, there was a certain point because the venues were too small, like Irving Plaza, and we were also at Gramercy Theater at a certain point. There was a point where they had two venues going at the same time on Sunday, seven services on a Sunday. Jeez. And from morning till night, and the last service was at like, you know, seven thirty or, oh or or some night. Sometimes I think once we had a nine o'clock service or whatever. I was on the crew team, so I volunteered for crew, meaning I helped break down the church at the end of the night. And 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 we because no, they never owned a venue. It was everything was like we all, always had to pack up at the end of the night. It would grow more and more. I would we would drive these huge fourteen foot, sixteen foot trucks. Eventually, they got an eighteen wheeler by oh the time God. I I had left. But like you know, you put all this heavy production equipment and all these stuff, whatever, into these trucks. And like, people would volunteer from morning to night. And right. like, and like you'd that's get, what the energy people were putting into like care was and just it was like all, running it was this like cyclical, so, like uh, economy of it was the church. All going back into the church. And then like, and then you would hear, you would see, or like every now and then, you know, people would be like, you know, when this Instagram account came out and you're like, wait, they're spending money on what? Like the more you got close and you were just like, they're spending so much money on this and that. And then you're like, mm-hmm. you want to not have to think about it. You shouldn't, as a as a member of a church, you shouldn't have to think about what your church, like you want to be able to trust the leaders of the church to spend money wisely and not be spending it on frivolous things. And yet you would see it from time to time and I, and it, I would be like, they're spending so much money on this and it's all just to grow the church mm-hmm. to what end? Because what are we doing? And right. if it's like, if it's just the keep, keep, it's like, 
it's so capitalistic in the in a way that it became to it just felt so I was just like I don't know like I, and that's <laughs> it's like multi-level that, marketing like the point is the yeah. growth you know like and the point and is it's, the growth. it's just crazy to think and uh the church that we went to also you know I think had a level of this too not seven services but just like oh the demand is growing for the services let's have more services yeah. like it would never occur to a church to be like turn people away, like direct them to other churches, have them go more local to their own community. Like if you really think other churches are doing great work in the city, like you're overwhelming your staff, obviously. So why are you, instead of just saying like, no, we're good, you know, like we have everything we need. We have this community and encourage people to go out and like be in the city. No, no, no. It's expansion. So more services, yeah. more locations, more churches, more mm-hmm. seating, more planting, all that stuff, you know? So like you said, it just goes back into the the church, the cycle of the church rather than any other like more um charitable measure. <laughs> yeah. And like what one of the things about I'm sorry, I know where this podcast is forever long now, but like what no, are the good. one of the one of the things about this that that always bothered me was like and this is evangelicalism. Uh, they would, you know, you do altar call, and then they, and then people would raise their hand, and then they'd be like, "This X amount of people are, you know." I think even in the documentary they said something like, "It was Hillsong was converting like thirty five thousand people like a day or or a year or well, whatever." The Pentecostal they said movement among. was, yeah, they were talking about the Pentecostal that. movement, yeah. And I was just like, and I felt this at the time, like, you guys know that the people you are converting and so many of the people who are raising their hands are people who are Christian people who grew up in a Christian household and they went away and now they're back in a church that they kind of like you're taking members from other churches like me <laughs> right, yeah and, and you're like calling them converts it. yeah and or even like, if they are a pure convert again it's like that's just quantity that doesn't describe the quality of their relationship with God at all yes to that point it's like what happens after they raise their hand mm-hmm and mm-hmm. Hillsong tried to be good about this, but they couldn't because the nature of what that church and a lot of the uh, super mega churches are, because it's so much about the growth or whatever. When people leave, people, it, they leave and nobody, and very few people care. Very few people say anything. And like, I went to that church for, and this is a very common experience. I went to that church for like seven something years. I was a, I was a lead. I wound up being one of the leaders of the crew team, you know, um, like I, like, at, like every now and then they would like highlight a, you know, highlight a leader, like bring them up on the stage in front of thousands mm. of people and be like, this person's awesome. And that, you know, the pastors, you know, I was, I, that happened you were to in there. me. Yeah. You were like, I was like, I had, had a I degree had of prominence Carl's, even, you yeah. know, I had pastor Carl's number in my phone. I'm just saying like, I, like, I didn't really care too much about this. Other time. I'm just saying that I was, in, I was ingrained into this church. And when I basically stopped coming, there was like two people who noticed, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. And then a lot of my friends, and then a lot of friends that I had made in the church had had also were leaving and had left, you know, or were also on their way out. And I would remember when people would leave, and then you'd go, "Where's this person?" They're like, "I don't know." And then we would all go, "Oh!" And then they would just be gone, you know. And it was just like, and why? Because there's still thousands of people here, you know. And it's like, and that's again, that's like a kind of conversation about mega churches in general. But it's it is a a Hillsong is the 
one of the mega churches. So like, you know, right. I think it's fair game to talk about that with, with them. It's like, totally. it's like the thing we've talked about before about in the same way that perhaps there's no such thing as an ethical billionaire. There's no such thing as a functional mega church at a certain totally. threshold or capacity. You just kind of lose the ability to care for people in the way that they deserve. So on that note, I think maybe it's time to finally rate the documentary. The way this works, John, is we give it a holy toast or holy roast and pray that the Zoom doesn't crash on me and that the enemy does not attack us <laughs> in this very sensitive time. A holy toast, we give it a thumbs up and send Hillsong, a megachurch exposed all the way to heaven. heaven or holy roast, we send it all the way down. Or if we're not sure, we can send it to Purgatory, which is... The space between. And we'll start with Caroline. Um, I mean, despite their problems with it, I think I'm going to give it a holy toast. Um, I think they did a lot with it, uh, you know, with the two days they had to pull this documentary together. <laughs> uh, all things considered. Uh, and and I want to say, like, I, I genuinely think that every person that spoke in this documentary, especially the people that went to the church, is are are so brave. And I'm kind of in awe of like the the courage they had. Even um I'm I'm sorry if I'm saying her name wrong, but Renine Kareem, like the woman that Carl Lentz was together with, I was just dumbstruck by her courage to be like, yeah, it wasn't mm. cool. I knew what was going on, but also I was not gonna let him get away with his narrative and, you know, get off scot-free. I think this was a big problem or whatever. So I feel like I feel indebted to these people in a lot of way too, even though we've known about this story for a while before it was famous or whatever. I'm grateful they did what they did and they they tried to explain what happened there and, and hopefully other people can learn from it and not repeat those mistakes. That's great. All right. We turn it to John. Uh, I'm going to send it to Purgatory. Okay. I feel like, yeah, I can't send this down. And I, I, there are some things though, like that I, I did, I like. It's interesting. I actually, I didn't think Renine was brave at all. I, I, I felt like she was so dissociative of her own behavior. Uh, like even when she was talking about like messing up, she actually said it in the third person. She was like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you, or second person, I guess, she was like, sometimes. You, you know, mess yourself up and you do this or you do that. And I was like, no, you, it's like, I, I messed up. Say I, you did it. Not anybody Mm. else. You knew the man was married. I don't know. There was a way in which she like talked about stuff that I was like, all right, you're really trying to paint yourself as a like victim in this whole thing. And you were one of, you, you slept with the married man who had kids and you knew that he had kids and you knew he was married. Um, and that's messed up. Like I don't, you don't get to, you don't get a pass for that. But I don't know um, who who amongst us wouldn't fall prey to the line. Obviously, <laughs> what what did he say to her in the park? I don't even want to repeat it. It was uh, so weird. It was like her particular <laughs> race was the most beautiful kind of woman in the oh, world. Oh, Middle East. Oh yeah, Middle Eastern yeah. women are the most beautiful. I, I see what you're saying, Jonathan. But I, I'll all I'll say is like that. It, it was a great risk for her. And obviously, I don't think anyone is sympathetic to her. Right. And I think she knew that that was going to be the case if she told that story. I guess I, I appreciate that she she told it and did not allow 
Carl Lentz's mistresses to be like all these anonymous women, you know, who we could imagine a certain way and instead kind of humanize what these women would be like. Yes, she's complex. Yes, she's not perfect or whatever, but like, I don't know. It it didn't allow him to just say like, yeah, in a moment of weakness, this one girl, you know, like tempted me or whatever. Like mm. she was out, able to inform the other side of that story that normally we just don't get with these pastors. You know what I mean? I do. It, 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 the, my only thing with that is that one, he never said like, like this woman, te- like he, he came out with the posts very quickly before she went to the tabloids about, about like, I messed up. It was, it was only me, you know, I, I guess I guess the stuff that she did say, the the the, the details feels more gossipy than any. I don't I don't know if if I didn't have all the details that she said, if I would have felt any differently because the other because the real stuff that happened with Carl that was messed again maybe I don't know, but I feel like the stuff there were other stuff that came out that would have come out without her. To, in, mm. in my opinion, I feel like that stuff would have come out without her putting a face to, you know, who she, who she was. But I don't know. That's just me. I don't. I. I. Yeah. There. Yeah. I, I feel like she was. I feel like. It was. It was really her thing. Was felt really complicated, especially because she knew who she, he was before they started sleeping together. That felt. I was like, well, then I don't know. As. <laughs> It, ma- it makes me question things a little bit more, mm. but that's yeah. me. Anyway, but this you. documentary was like, this documentary was, um, uh, I feel like it could, it could have been, it could have been better. I'm hoping that the other documentary is a little more filled with context. I can't believe we have at least two more to look forward to. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> or it's like, hey, uh, do you want nine Firefest document? Okay, I guess so. <laughs> that's just the name of the game now. That's true. There were two Firefests, mm-hmm. but the first Firefest was so good. It's mm-hmm. like the second one, you're like, not that it wasn't good. You're just like, well, I can't comment. I just experienced it via meme and I felt like I had watched it already. <laughs> Wait, did you not really, you really not watch the Firefest? I really didn't watch him. I just saw the guy oh, saying he would do a certain thing uh, <laughs> in, oh, so in any circumstance. Oh, they're so good. I myself will give it. Uh, I will give it a space between as well, just like John did, where I was. Fairly disappointed, especially with as much that they had to work with. That that's what they chose to do with it was a little disappointing to me. I hope other future works about this kind of ex- ex- excavate and interrogate some of the things we're talking about better. And just to clarify, I do think when they dramatize this, that the only person to play Mr. Carl Lentz will be John Bernthal. Uh, as you can see behind me right now, I think that's a great call. I think it's a pretty good fit. He does have the swagger. He has the gravitas and the charisma to pull it off. And I actually think depending Russell Crowe could be a good Brian Houston and he doesn't need to worry about the accent. And it's great. It's already built in. Just a little. That's actually not. I like this casting. It could (laughs) work. He already has like the old alcoholic thing going on. (laughs) Yeah, he's ready. He's ready for it. (laughs) He's been preparing. Gracious. All right. Now it's time to dim the lights and light the candles like they did at Gramercy Theater. Get those pads going. Oh, man. And John, we're not here to promote ourselves or plug our our projects. Yes, I hope it does take you back. I hope it triggers you in a particular (laughs) way. 
We're not here to promote ourselves or plug, plug our projects. We're here to lift them up to the Lord as a loving and humble sacrifice. And we start as per usual with Caroline. Uh, you can slide into my D. Actually, don't slide into no, my D. No, don't slide in. <laughs> I don't Wait, want it. What? Uh, <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Caroline Sparks. Uh, um, slide into our DMs on Letterboxd. A platform that doesn't <laughs> have DMs. There you go. Yeah, please, please. Any pastors of mega churches, please slide. Please, <laughs> I would love to talk to you. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna lift up a song this week, and I am being a little bit of an asshat because I didn't look how, how to pronounce the artist's name beforehand. So I'm sorry if I butcher it. Boob Dilan. Jo- <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Joy Aladukun, and it's a song called "If You Got a Problem," and. I, I don't know if this song is famous already, but if not, it should be. Uh, it's so great. It's about being there for your friend. Uh, it's the new, um, you know, Lean On Me. So go listen to that. It's a great song. I always kind of tear up when I listen to it because it's really sweet. All right. Thank you, Caroline. We turn to John. Uh, I would love to lift up a little film by, by the name of uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yes. It's I'm sure maybe you guys have lifted this up already, but it's deserving to be lifted up again because it's very good. I have, uh, yeah, my friend Tali's in it. I know Stephanie as well, who plays Joy, the daughter. Mm. They're, they're awesome. And uh, they both, I mean, the the movie is also kind of spiritual. Uh, it's very, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a really good movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. All right. So go see it. And then people can listen to Black Men Can't Jump and... Follow you everywhere yeah. at John Braylock. Listen yeah, to that. Find it. Uh, you can lift me up at Kevin T. Porter everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if y'all have ever heard of a director named Douglas Sirk, but he made a lot of melodramas in the 1950s that absolutely rip. And they're all on the Criterion channel right now <laughs> until they expire at the end of April. Movies like Written on the Wind, um, and uh, uh, he did some other ones too. Gosh, uh, I love you getting into old Hollywood lately, Kevin. This I is know. Such a treat. Well, and it's so funny too because all the stuff I'm into is I don't know what this means about me, but it's like Judy Garland and then Douglas Sirk movies in particular are very queer coded. They all star Rock Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> there's like there's a lot going on with them, uh, but you can yeah you can watch those on Criterion Channel. A great subscription. You can lift us up at Christian Fun Pod everywhere. You can go to patreon.com slash goodchristianfun for more good Christian fun. And you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review you leave, we donate a dollar to charity. This month's charity is NEEDS, which is the National Education for Assistance Dog Services. So it's all about getting those service animals to the right people. John, thanks so much for sharing everything with us and your perspective and your story. Oh what a valuable, great insider voice. Yes. The turncoat yes, turns once again. Who, who knew? <laughs> this was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. And there's nothing left to say except for, okay. Okay. I love, I love you. you. Thank, Thank you, Emma. Emma. Amen. Amen. And I think Amen. it would only be fitting if we do go out on... Uh, Right. I mean, this song, this song slaps. Here we go. Feels, it does kind of feel cool that I was one of the first person to hear it. Well, I didn't hear any of that. What'd you say? <laughs>
<laughs> I said it was kind of cool. I was one of the first people to hear it. Whoa! And you were the one that gave it the thumbs up, and they're like, Guys, and I, I was like, Carl, we got, <laughs> we got to do it. We <laughs> got to run it by Braylock first. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, have fun swimming in those oceans, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.